This is the John Oakley Show podcast. With Alyssa Freeman, Andrew Clark, and Arthur Potts. Arthur, a management consultant in the emerging low-carbon economy. Uh, That intrigues me because I was talking to somebody from the University of Calgary School of Public Policy earlier in the program. Uh, There is much rancor and resentment in the land, especially out there in Alberta on this tech frontier cancellation. Uh, At least the perception here is that uh, this has to do with the idea there is instability and a lack of predictability in resource development. Uh, Now, could it also be a watershed moment? I mean, in terms of how people perceive things in Alberta, I mean, in national unity terms, uh, he says this is just lent additional credence to the idea that they're being uh, some somehow uh, put upon and, you know, the whole Wexit thing is starting to gain some momentum here. Do you so as, as a start in my practice, I believe strongly in not attacking the supply of carbon and carbon fuels like oil and gas. I believe in addressing the demands. So we need incentives in the programs to wean us off of carbon fuels. Having said that, what we're seeing, I think the nexus is people's attitudes towards carbon is so profound right now as we're transitioning the economy that, that it's like the, the, uh, uh, the people that were renting videos in video stores, all of a sudden the video stores are going out of business. We see in countries like Norway, also huge oil, they invested in, divest, in, in diversifying their economy and they're doing quite well. Now 50% of the cars in Norway are actually electric cars. What do they got, 8 million population? Yeah. Okay, okay. it's not a, a big country. But, stuff. you know, when you make that analogy about, uh, like, you know, it's a video rental store. Uh, the world is changing. Well, it is, except uh, there are two points to make. Number one, I mean, they're still not weaned entirely off fossil fuels. And if you can find... No, a, and, and it'll be 30 years before we are. If, but, uh, maybe, but maybe 40, the, 50. The, the oil that we're pulling under Canada right. is expensive. It's carbon rich. There are, there are better sources. Now, if they but can we can't get an a, LNG project built. Alberta's also lamenting the fact that $40 billion stays in the ground because there have been uh, impediments placed to LNG, which they say uh, we send to China and India, the two biggest polluters on the planet, wean them off coal. No, and, I, and I'm fully supportive of us. I, if we're going to be using oil, I'd rather use it from Canada. Thank you. But it has to be not subsidized by government, tax incentives for exploration and development. It has to, and, and I don't think they can compete on the oil section. Well, they met all in, the in, regulatory in requirements, though. This was something that so was put good, up before A good friend of mine who's in the mining industry said, you guys, giving me political advice, you guys should just approve tech because it'll never get built. They rely on a $95 barrel of oil, and it's down at, what, 50 55 right now? Well, It's uh, not going to happen. It, it, you know, we're never going to see the kinds of oil prices which allow a lot of these projects that got shelved to go into production. I won't get too deeply into the weeds, but our friend from Calgary, because I asked him about that, whether or not there was a a threshold that wasn't being met and therefore it made it economically unviable. He disagreed with that. Uh, but I wanted to get back to the original point of whether or not these are issues now that are becoming so big, uh, they're defining watershed moments in the Canadian body politic, Alyssa. Do you see it as such? Yes, I do. And I think that people are really worried about it, quite honestly. And we were talking about this off air. And, you know, one of the the things about this whole issue is which narratives are landing where and who has the most par- powerful narrative and what's the one that's being absorbed uh, most ably by, you know, the average Canadian. And, and, and I think that right now what they see is, is that 
big companies are pulling out of big projects and hurting provincial economies. So if I had to really umbrella it in very simple sentences, that would be it. Yes, you can peel back the layers of the onion and say, well, it's because of this and because of that. You should have diversified your economy. You should have done this. You should have done that. By and large, there's not that great a percentage of people. Maybe there is, but most people aren't going to dig into it. What they see is fear. What they see is that they're not getting jobs. And what they see is that people are looking to Canada for big projects. That is the umbrella narrative that is getting out there. All right. I just wanted to add, Arthur, I think in Norway, when you cited Norway, they've got such a huge sovereign fund. Mm-hmm. They can basically, uh, you know, go into a developing Legoland and they'd still prosper because, you know, they're riding on uh, a huge stake there, a grub stake. Let me ask you, though, Andrew, because Justin Trudeau has made much about in during the SNC-Lavalin thing about protecting Canadian jobs like he was Captain Canada. Uh, folks in West don't feel he's actually representing on their interests. Well, I think that the fact that he defended SNC by saying he was protecting jobs was ludicrous. There weren't enough jobs there for him to really be protecting anybody. So I think in that respect, the people at West have a real uh, real grudge that they can carry. In terms of tech, I do agree. I, I think unless oil was going up to $100 a barrel, it was never going to happen because there would be, they would need so many subsidies. So that particular project wasn't going to happen. And I, mean, I think the other thing that people have to look at as a result of the coronavirus is, is the effect of that on the world economy. You're seeing stock markets are down. China's economy is at half capacity. I think when SARS happened, China represented 3% of the world's sort of economic financial. Now it's 20%. So we're, we're, we're looking at a really unstable. So forget all of you know those things in the short term. There's a whole lot of other stuff going on economically that's going to have a big You're right. A confluence of factors like uh, the Dow dropped by more than 1,000 points yesterday because of the uncertainty. And the markets hate uncertainty. The coronavirus scare uh, outside of, I guess, China. Now Italy is one that's facing a number of cases too. Uh, some are saying this might even stall the torrid Trump economy and change the election calculus stateside. Arthur, you think the prospects of that, if the economy were to go south or take a real serious dip, as we saw yesterday... And that were to be continued. Uh, yeah, it seems the greatest thing Trump has going for him is the state of the economy. And, right. And a lot of uh, pundits uh, think that some of the measures they took, reducing regulations, allowing uh, things to get built without environmental protections, some of the reasons why, of course, our liquid natural gas plants weren't being built, because they, the, the difficulties they were having getting through environmental approvals. But yeah, I think this will have a profound impact as, as economies start to suffer. Uh, maybe Trump will, will suffer for that. Okay, uh, you're hoping against hope, are you? I mean, but the the big debate going on in South Carolina tonight will tell you a lot about what you need to know if Bernie's the real deal and his populism that he has on offer uh, is going to carry the day for the Dems. A lot of the Dem establishment is scared of that. By the way, Trump was in India yesterday, and he was talking up the relationship between the U.S. and India. Uh, You're a political animal. Strategic political move to uh, try to get closer to India with trade and all kinds of other things you know, a pivot away from China? Uh, absolutely. And it worked very well for Patrick Brown in Ontario. If you want to bring it down to a microcosm, <laughs> okay. his relation with India was actually helped him dramatically get, get leadership uh, by, by uh, encouraging people, ethnic people in the communities to vote for him. But I don't think that'll be very effective for Trump. But there were no costume changes. 
<laughs> no, there weren't, as a matter of fact, which has <laughs> helped to distinguish or differentiate Trump as being more leaderly on a global level than our own prime minister. Andrew, I'm not leaving you out of the equation because I wanted to ask, uh, now that we have this story of David Ayers, the replacement goalie on the weekend, and I know by your credits that you're also an award-winning screenwriter and author and uh, the director of the, the comedy writing and performance program at Humber College, does this story of his replacing, you know, coming out of the, <laughs> the catacombs and stepping into the leaf net uh, lend itself to a movie? I mean, his mother donated a kidney to him, gave him life, he said on the Today Show the other day at 27. Uh, you know, I mean, he could have faced his last, but here he is. It's, it's, a, it's a great story. All you need is a villain. Oh, yeah. For a really great story, you need a great villain. We got a hero. Now we just need the villain. Who's the villain? The, uh, well, you, put, the him in a, you put him in the Leafs net, and he was in the Canes net. In the Canes net. And the apologies. Leafs did score on their first two shots on the guy. Well, But they uh, but he made some great saves at the end. Of the, it, it, he should be congratulated. It, what a great it, story. It is really a fantastic. We just need a really, really good villain. We can come up with one. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is what I was going to ask Errol Bowler's you. not around anymore. I was just <laughs> going to say, who on the Leafs could it be? Who right, well, Kyle Dubas be? or something. But you, you see, and this is interesting, the way you would construct the narrative or a story, uh, if there's enough meat on them bones, but we need a villain. So, uh, But look, Hollywood is taking creative license in a lot of cases. Absolutely. So uh, maybe you put the coach behind the Leaf bench or maybe even the Carolina bench or somebody. I don't know. Who well, what, if we took, what if we took the Rudy story arc? You know, who were the villains there? Well, it was other members of the team, right? So... It's a tricky one. Rudy, I mean, it's just, it would have been so wonderful to see that moment when his eyes lit up when he knew he was actually going into the net. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I've, I've kind of sort of wondered what's going through your mind when you realize this thing you've wanted your whole life, you're getting. Yeah, That's oldest, a very sweet moment. Ever, you know. ever to play. I love that. The oldest, the oldest rookie. There's the title. Does the he have an rookie. agent yet? Like, somebody's got to grab a hold of this oh, guy at boy, some I point. I mean, but what about some endorsements? Like, who? what could he endorse? You know, what's sort of like a comeback product that... Uh, uh, beer. He's a beer league goalie. <laughs> there you go. Oh, okay, so... Canadian, Molson Canadian. Well, okay, that right. that is the he could single-handedly resurrect and bring back Tim's maybe. What do you mean resurrect? Well, are they're they going having, away. Well, they're not doing so well, John. And they've made their roll up the rim contest so complicated that it's not just rolling up the rim anymore, and you have to actually go online and play. And I think that was the number one rated article on Chatelaine online was. Explaining the roll up. To Actually, it was number one win. rated on my LinkedIn. That's was right. it? Okay. Yeah, that's was Fair that was enough. my source of news today. That's tragic because you know this venerable institution that uh, has plummeted. Yeah, but you know what? It's all about uh, consistency and delivering on a promise and good product. Well, this is why High Street comes to mind right away when it comes to fish and chips, Arthur. You were attacking me earlier for uh, forgetting that I ever had fish at the Harbor Sixty. But you know, in my mind, I was thinking as soon as I default to fish. I go to the fish and chips at High Street in the Donwood Plaza Don Mills, world's greatest tasting. That's fantastic. You know where else you get great fish in Toronto? Mm. Uh, we're the, just talking about High bar, Street now. The bar that I co-own at uh, the Pilot Tavern at Young and Bloor. Oh, yeah. Our a lot chef of, is fantastic. Is he? Well, he's got a lot to do to live up to uh, the threshold set by my friends Paul and Sharon at High Street in the Donwood Plaza Don Mills. You know what? Well, it's product placement. I love it. You know what it is? Uh, they actually come from a credible uh, gourmet food background, having worked all those years with Mark McEwen. And now they're on their own. They set up shop, fish and chip shop in the Donwood Plaza Don Mills, right there with all that parking around it. Doesn't come any better. And you know whose word I trust on this? Alyssa Freeman. That's right. Who also brought it in for everybody one day. 
And there was a lineup uh, outside the day. studio. Yeah, sticky toffee pudding, you haven't lived. I, I there think this is somewhat cruel and unusual punishment, talking about Harbor 60 and fish and chips just before 6 o'clock. Well, I think that they obviously the, the listening audience has great taste, which is why we get these, these appetizers. People are stuck so. in traffic. We're talking about delicious food. It's not nice. Well, it's not. Uh, it's the unkindest cut of all. But, you know, they cut their own fish <laughs> and chips right there on the Where premises. Are Where do they do that? And, I can and are you going north on the DVP? Because yeah. get off at Lawrence right now. You know, see? <laughs> this is it. By repetition, I've ingrained in your mind where you, you go. Because uh, a lot of times people will turn into the Don Mills, the shops at Don Mills. No, no, it's east of the DVP along Lawrence. At that first light, you turn north on Underhill and you'll find High Street in the Donwood Plaza, Don Mills. Let me get back to uh, the business at hand since we've got more topics worthy of discussion. And uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything here that we haven't actually broached with you guys yet. Uh, how about Justin Trudeau reflecting on his blackface episode, saying all Canadians should check their racist attitudes uh, around the horn very quickly. This was in a, an interview, Black History Month, last night on TWE, and I thought to myself, how uh, utterly arrogant, because uh, do all Canadians need to reflect on their racist attitudes subconsciously or otherwise, or was this just on him going into blackface and he should have known better? Yes, I think it's the latter, and I thought he did a good job of it because, you know, this is a narrative that is going to continue to dog him uh, forever and a day, and one way to control a narrative is to create, is to grab it uh, for your own, and that's what he did. It was at this uh, event with Marcy Ian, and it was celebrating Black History Month, and he went out there and he said, I made a mistake. I had to come to, uh, you know, uh, terms with my own attitudes, and I did, and people in the audience stood up, so you know what? I think he I think he did right on that one. So in 10 seconds or less, Arthur Potts, I mean, does he put that behind him and he has a new no, problem? No, he, he owned it. I mean, times change. And it was more commonplace to do that stuff when it happened. And, and, and hindsight is 50-50. And we all probably could check our racist attitudes. First time I was in New York, I was weirded by, by being around so many people of color because I didn't grow up with it. Wow. How long ago were you in New York? It was about 45 years ago. I was 17. Okay. It was, you know, that's not the community I grew up in. Well, I know. Uh, It was his first time in New York, I'm assuming. (laughs) Yeah. Back in the hippie (laughs) days. Uh, We're out of time, Andrew. I wish I, you know, I'm going to have to owe you one for the next occasion. Okay. I'm putting it in the bank. <laughs> okay. I'm putting it in the bank, John. You can bank on that. The there you go. Uh, it's going to be uh, something you can cash credibly down the road. Andrew Clark, Arthur Potts, Alyssa Freeman, thank you all for coming in this Tuesday. And to Robbie Trevisan and Mary Feely and all, another great day for talk radio in the books. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 